text for this morning's sermon is Psalm 72. Of Solomon. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and peace abound, till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how urgently do we pray for Jesus to come back to establish God's perfect kingdom on earth? When life is going well for us, we're not always so eager for our Savior's return. We want to get married first, or to receive the child or grandchild we're expecting. We're looking forward to going on a special trip or to enjoying retirement. Life on this earth can be good when we're experiencing the Lord's rich blessings over us. And so at times, we may not be earnestly praying for the Lord's return on the clouds of heaven. Yet, beloved, when we consider the injustices in this world, we're more inclined to look for Christ's return. 
think about the systemic persecution that many of our brothers and sisters are suffering in China, in North Korea, and the Middle East. Consider the mindless killings, the senseless beheadings, the terror inflicted on many because of their faith in the Lord Jesus. Think about how the rich and the powerful oppress the poor. Think about the abject poverty of many, of children dying of starvation in many third world nations. In the Western world, we face so much corruption and lawlessness and evil. Much of the housing boom in our largest cities is a result of dirty money from abroad, making it difficult for average Canadians to live in places like Vancouver and Toronto. The porn industry has contributed to objectifying women and to increasing levels of violence in sexual relationships. About 100,000 babies are aborted in Canada every year. Many of our aged and infirm are being euthanized. The LGBTQ community has made such inroads into society that their propaganda is being taught in elementary schools across our nation, confusing children about their sexual identity. Consider, beloved, the struggles we face in our own lives. Being involved in or seeing loved ones suffer the results of serious accidents being diagnosed with illnesses and suffering the debilitating effects thereof, suffering trauma in your life and facing years of struggle trying to come to terms with it, facing struggles in relationships which cause frustration and stress, being affected by anxiety, by depression, by suicidal thoughts, When facing such struggles, do we long for Christ to exercise his kingship over this earth? Do we earnestly pray for the gospel to transform our lives, the lives of those around us and of our society? Do we long for Christ's return on the clouds of heaven? Psalm 72 has as title of Solomon. This could mean either that the psalm was written by Solomon or for him. The last verse of Psalm 72 says, The prayers of David the son of Jesse are ended. This indicates that most likely the psalm was a prayer of David for his son Solomon when he became king of Israel. And yet this psalm is also a messianic psalm. It's a prayer that God would send a king who would rule over his people with justice and righteousness, who would bring true peace, not just to Israel, but to the ends of the earth. As we remember Christ's coming in this Christmas season, we're encouraged to pray for his glorious return. Preach you the gospel under the following theme. Pray that through God's righteous king, God's kingdom of peace may spread to the ends of the earth. We're to pray for God's king to establish justice in the land, to provide peace for his people, 
and to exercise dominion over all. Commentators have debated whether Psalm 72 is a prayer for the king of Israel or a prophecy for a coming, about a coming king. Part of the debate is how the verbs in this psalm should be translated. Verse 1 begins with a command. Give the king your justice, O God. And then the rest of the verbs, the action words in this psalm, are all in the imperfect tense. In English, they can be translated as predictions or as prayers. So verse 2 can be translated as the New King James and NIV do. He will judge your people with righteousness. It can also be translated as the ESV does. May he judge your people with righteousness. So either Psalm 72 is a prophecy about what a coming king will do, or it's a prayer for what the newly crowned king would do. The correct answer to this question is not either prophecy or prayer, but both. Psalm 72 is clearly a prayer of David for his son Solomon, who had just been made king over Israel. The parallels between what David prays for Solomon and what happens in his reign are remarkable. David prays for the king, long may he live. When Solomon was anointed, all the people shouted, long live King Solomon. David prays for his son that he might judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The Lord gave Solomon a wise and discerning mind, so he was able to judge with righteousness and equity. David prayed, May there be abundance of grain in the land, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. Under Solomon's kingship, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. David prays, May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. During Solomon's reign, people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and they all brought him gifts. Clearly, the Lord heard and he answered David's prayers for his son Solomon. But is that all David was praying for? It should be clear that Psalm 72 is more than a prayer for Solomon to be a good king. In the background of this psalm is God's promise to David made in 2 Samuel 7. When David desired to make the Lord a house, God responded by stating that he would make David a house. The Lord promised that David's son would sit on his throne. He said, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In the genealogy recorded in Matthew 1, we see how the line of David is carried on all the way to the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 1, the angel tells Mary she would conceive and bear a son who would be great and the son of the Most High. 
Gabriel told Mary, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Thus, this psalm is a prayer not just for Solomon, but also for the messianic reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first part of Psalm 72 is a request for God to grant justice through the new king being enthroned. It's a prayer that he might judge the people with equity and bring justice to the poor and the needy. To us, that doesn't seem like such a big deal. But in Israel, it was. If the king and his officials were not honest and upright, they could judge with partiality. They would often show favoritism to the rich in exchange for a bribe. The result would be that many in the land would suffer hardship and oppression. There are many places in this world where there is not true equity or justice in the land. Those in positions of power are often corrupt. They oppress the poor in order to benefit themselves and their cronies. We've seen some of these things happen in our own country. In recent years, the spotlight has been on the rampant corruption in the construction industry in Quebec. Our Prime Minister tried to get his Attorney General to intervene in the SNC-Lavalin scandal, although it was against the rule of law. There's a fair bit of corruption and gang activity relating to the import of drugs via ports in Metro Vancouver. In Canada, we still have the rule of law. Yet increasingly, the law is set aside in order to pander to the ideology of our age. Although the Constitution upholds freedom of religion and freedom of expression, Trinity Western University was discriminated against having their law decrees recognized because they required their students to sign a code of conduct. A few years ago, our federal government required all those applying for funding for summer jobs to sign an attestation agreeing with abortion. Beloved, these are not good developments. For when the law is set aside, the basic rights and the freedoms of citizens are threatened. In many countries around the world, there is little application of the rule of law. Corruption is rampant. Businesses have to pay protection fees to stop people from burning them down or driving away their customers. If a business does really well, the government may appropriate it. In many of these places, people are afraid of the police. They're often corrupt. They enforce the will of those in power on the people. Without justice and equity, a country cannot thrive. People need to be treated fairly to feel safe and secure. David prayed, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness, your poor with justice. And we see that God answered his prayer. Solomon was a wise and a just ruler. 
Think about the situation where you had to decide between two women fighting about a baby whom they both claimed was theirs. Solomon proposed to cut the baby in half, to give each woman half of the baby. He knew that the real mom would rather give up her son than see him killed. And then he awarded the baby to his real mom. 1 Kings 3.28 says, And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. The queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's wisdom and came to test him with hard questions. She was amazed at his wisdom and said, Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Such rule was so very beneficial for God's people. It led to peace and to prosperity. The people grew in number and ate and drank and were happy. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. Yet Solomon only lived and ruled Israel for one generation. In the next generation, Israel was split into two nations. The golden age had passed, and for much of Israel's later history, there was not justice and equity in the land. When you read through the prophets, God's people were, are repeatedly admonished for oppressing the poor and the needy. Solomon was only a shadow of the great king to come. What Israel really needed was the promised Messiah, the one who would bring a kingdom of righteousness and justice. Isaiah foretold the coming of the Messiah. He said, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Isaiah spoke of how the Spirit of the Lord would rest in him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Equipped by the spirit, the coming Messiah would rule with justice and equity. Isaiah prophesied, With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. During his earthly ministry, Jesus had a heart for the poor and the oppressed. He visited with tax collectors and sinners. He sought out the lost sheep of Israel that they might be included in the kingdom of God. Yet Jesus opposed the proud. He confronted the religious leaders with their hypocrisy. He pronounced woes on them for neglecting justice and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus was fair in his dealings with everyone he met. He stood up for the poor and the oppressed. After his death and resurrection, Christ went up into heaven. He ascended the throne at God's right hand. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the sake of his church. 
Since the day of Pentecost, Christ has sent forth his representatives to preach the gospel to all peoples and nations. The good news of salvation has transformed nations and societies. The Bible teaches it's necessary for governing authorities to exercise justice and equity. As a result, nations under the influence of Christianity have established a rule of law. Thus, in different times and places, Christ has provided various societies with a measure of justice and of righteousness. Yet living in this fallen, this sinful world, much oppression and injustice continue to be done. That's why also today we're called to pray for Christ's return. We look forward to that time when oppression and injustice will be no more. Brings us to our second point, and it will see how we are to pray for God's King to provide peace for his people. In Psalm 72, verse 3, David prays, Let the mountains bring peace to the people. And in verse 7, he prays that peace may abound. Solomon's name comes from the Hebrew word shalom, meaning peace. His name fit him very well. Solomon was indeed a prince of peace. During his reign, the borders of Israel extended to their furthest reaches. 1 Kings 4, 24 says that Solomon had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tifsa to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. The peace that Solomon provided went beyond an absence of war. He provided true peace in Israel. Remember, it was Solomon who built the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. It was through this work that God came to dwell in the midst of his people. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. The people could come there and offer sacrifices and find forgiveness for their sins. It was possible for them to be reconciled with God, to dwell in communion with him. As a prince of peace, Solomon provided his people with peace, both with God and man. Isaiah 9 verse 6 speaks about the coming Messiah as the prince of peace. Jesus would come to deliver a different peace than Solomon provided for his citizens. Solomon's peace was primarily an earthly peace, a rest from warfare. But our Savior came to provide us with true peace. He came to deliver us from the source of all unrest and fighting, from sin. Christ came to offer his body and blood to make the payment by which we're completely restored to peace with God. The peace the Messiah came to bring is pictured in vivid terms in our reading from Isaiah 11. Isaiah speaks about the wolf dwelling with the lamb, the leopard lying down with a young goat, and the lion with a young calf. Normally, wolves eat lambs. Leopards and lions eat young goats and calves. 
Yet Isaiah gives us this picture of paradise restored. He speaks of young children playing with various snakes and not getting hurt. Of a time when sin and all its effects will be no more. To give us some idea of the blessed peace that the Messiah came into this world to achieve. Indeed, beloved Christ came to deliver the poor from oppression and the needy from distress. He came to grant us a life of joy and peace and hope. As weak and as sinful people, we sometimes lose that. At times, the struggles and difficulties of this life overwhelm us. And yet from heaven, Christ pours out his gifts upon us. Christ is intimately involved in the day-to-day affairs of our lives. He has sent his spirit to dwell in our hearts. He's given us his word to comfort us and guide us, to lead us on the way everlasting. Already now, Christ wants us to share a foretaste of the peace and joy he has promised us. Yet we'll never experience these things fully in this life. We continue to come under the attack of the devil, this world, and our own sinful flesh. We get tempted and there's times when we fall into sin. Sin puts a distance in our relationship with God. It breaks down our communion together. The struggles of this life can cause us to question why God allows us to suffer so much. Prolonged illness can cause us to doubt God's goodness and faithfulness. Worries and anxieties can rob us of a sense of God's nearness and care. Life can get on top of us in such a way. We don't always experience peace with God. That's why we need to continue to pray. We pray for God's kingdom to come. Part of such a prayer is that we ask God to rule over us by his word and spirit, that more and more we may submit to him. We pray for the gospel to bear fruit in our lives, that we live in the assurance that we're God's dearly loved children, that he truly does care for us. But that's not all. We're also to pray for the advance of the gospel, that those living in sin and darkness may experience the life and the peace and the comfort of belonging to Christ. We pray for Christ to continue to call many people from all peoples and nations into his glorious light. Dear beloved, we're also to pray for Christ's second coming. We're to pray for the return of Christ on the clouds of heaven. For it's not until that day that we will experience the fullness of the shalom, of the peace that Christ has earned for us. We do not yet fully understand what it will be like to dwell with God on new heavens and a new earth. Paul writes that, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I'm convinced 
One of the reasons why God allows trials and sorrows in our lives is to urge us to pray all the more earnestly for the great day of Christ's return. Brings us to our final point. Now we'll see how we are to pray for God's king to exercise dominion over all. In Psalm 72, David prays that his son as God's righteous king might have dominion over all. In verse 8, he prays, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This was in accord with God's promise made to Abraham in Genesis 15 and to Israel in Exodus 23. 1 Kings 4.21 shows us how Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. In the verses 9 to 11, David prays, May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish, an ancient Mediterranean seaport in Spain, and the coastlands of the Mediterranean render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba, that's today's Yemen, and Seba, way off in Africa, bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. David prays that former enemies will bow down before Israel's king, that kings from far west and east and south will bring him gifts, that all kings and nations will serve him. Yet this dominion is not gained by a powerful army or by a superior navy. Rather, it's gained by the worldwide recognition of this king's concern for justice and righteousness. It's seen in the following verses of Psalm 72. Verse 12 begins with a for. It provides a reason why all kings and nations will serve David's son. It's because he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor in him who has no helper. God's king would be honored by all because he redeemed the poor and needy from oppression and violence, because he granted shalom to those who acknowledged him. We know that Solomon received praise and tribute from many of the surrounding nations. He was highly respected for his wisdom and for the blessings that resulted from his righteous rule. Yet Solomon's dominion did not last. If you look at the, at the history of Israel, after the golden era of David and Solomon's rule, Israel was more often in subjection to the surrounding nations than ruling over them. Clearly, David's prayer was for something more than that. We know that it's only in the coming Messiah that God's promises would be fulfilled. Psalm 2 speaks about nations raging and peoples plotting in vain. The kings and the rulers of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. But God laughs at them. He says, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God promises his son, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. The coming Christ would exercise dominion over all peoples and nations. 
Today, Christ rules as king over all from, throne, from the throne in heaven. Originally, his kingdom was limited to people of Jewish descent. Yet Christ caused his gospel to be proclaimed far and wide. By his spirit and word, he has captured the hearts of many people and brought them into his kingdom. Christianity has spread throughout nearly all the tribes and nations on earth. Christ will continue to gather his children to himself until the number of the elect is full. By God's grace, many have come to believe in Jesus Christ, to submit their hearts and lives to his lordship. Yet there's also many who refuse to acknowledge Jesus as king. As long as this earth remains, some people will continue to reject Christ and his rule over them. Yet the time will come when Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 45, verse 23 is fulfilled. After calling all people to turn to him to be saved, the Lord said, By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Paul echoes these words in Philippians 2. He says, Christ is That God has highly exalted Christ, that he has bestowed on him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If people will not do that voluntarily in this life, they will be forced to do it on the final day. All unbelievers who rejected Christ even all the evil spirits who opposed him will be forced to bow the knee to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and King. Each Christmas season, we remember the coming of Christ in human flesh to work out our salvation. Let us, beloved, pray that through his righteous King, God's kingdom of peace may spread to the ends of this earth. Let us pray for the souls of many who are living in darkness, weighed down by sins, blinded by ignorance, that they may come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and King and share in all his blessings. Let's also pray for the return of Christ on the clouds of heaven, for the time when he will usher in his glorious rule, of justice and equity for a time when we will experience true peace with God and all his people forevermore. Amen.